Well, if you brought a Bible or if you brought uh, an iPhone or iPad or something to look at the Scriptures, turn to Exodus chapter 1. I want us to think this morning about what goes into the development of a person uh, to help you become your best. I'm a, my favorite sport is not most people's favorite sports. It's track and field. I watch track on, on uh, YouTube a lot. And in fact, this morning on the front of the uh, Billings Gazette was uh, Ar- uh, Miss Argani, who goes to Stanford University. She was a star athlete at uh, Billings Senior a few years ago and got a scholarship to go to Stanford and is doing, she's been All-American a couple of times, I guess. It was interesting to watch her progress through the years. You go to grade school and then high school, you get a little bit better than college, you get a little bit better. And if they're fortunate enough to go into the pros, then they get a little better yet. So uh, development. What does it take to develop a person? I used this phrase a few weeks ago. It was a quote from somebody else that uh, when you see someone who's successful, they said people see the glory, but they don't know the story. They don't know what it takes to get to where the person gets. They don't know the price that they pay. And uh, I used to tease the interns at Faith Chapel once in a while because uh, Nate, would, Nate would tell you now that most of the interns that are there, they want to pastor Faith Chapel. They don't want to pastor a little church. They want, to, they want to start with a big church like Faith Chapel. So a guy a few years ago came to Ginger and he said, I, I want to be a pastor. And Ginger said, well, well good. So I'd like to pray for it. She told, us, told him about our start at Faith Chapel. We started with 13 people and, you know, it built, built, built over the years and she says, so where are you going to go plant a church? He said, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to pastor a church like Faith Chapel. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, that's not really the place you start. You have to start someplace other than that. So I want to talk this morning about the development of Moses. So far as we're working our way through the Old Testament, because so many people are biblically illiterate now, we want to give you the major Bible characters in the Old Testament and the sequence that they come in so that you'd know the, the Old Testament stories and how it kind of all fits together. So far, we've talked about Abraham. Excuse me, we've talked about Adam. We've talked about Noah. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Joseph uh, for the past three weeks. Jared's done a great job with that. And this week, we're going to start three, three messages on Moses, who is one of my favorite Bible characters. Now, you may remember in the context of what's been said the last several weeks that Joseph was sent into exile in Egypt, and he rose and became the prime minister of this great nation. He's in charge. But 400 years now have passed. Nobody knows about Joseph. They don't remember Joseph. The leaders don't remember Joseph. And 70 people have now become over 2 million people in this nation, and they're becoming a challenge for the, for the Egyptians. So that's the context of the story, and God raised up, as usual, the right man, the right place, and the right time. So I'll begin reading in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, if you'd like to follow along there, please. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them, speaking of the, the Israelites, Israelites, the Jews, to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They were actually afraid of them. They were afraid that they were going to get so big that they would 
that they would uh, uh, take over. And so they came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. This is the first act of civil disobedience, I guess, in the, uh, in the scriptures. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives, midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not, Egyptian, not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because their midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. So I want us to talk about the elements that we see in the development of a person from this text so that they can become their best. Notice on your outline, first of all, the influence of godly people. Now, I'm sure all of you can think of people that you have been influenced by that have had a significant impact on your life. They, it might have been in a spiritual realm, it might, been, it might have been in a work realm or some other realm, but they significantly impacted your life. For me, uh, that was primarily my mom and dad. They were both followers of Jesus. And my earliest memories are in church. I remember growing up in church. I didn't always want to go, but they, they said, you go to school, you go to church. So I did. And it impacted me greatly. There's another man who was a Southern Baptist pastor. His name, we referred to him as Brother Carpenter. That's what they call their pastors, as brother rather than pastor. Brother Carpenter is a great man. Jack Hayford, Ron Mel were great influences in my life. And what I've noticed is that most of the significant influence in my life came from pastors, just, just the way that it, that it was in, in my life. So with Moses, his parents obviously had a significant influence. They gave him birth, they protected him, they taught him until he was able to be weaned, which was probably about three years old. And then he was sent to Pharaoh's house and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. So I want you to think for a minute. I'm going to ask you to respond in just a second. Who are the people that have, have influenced you in the most significant ways? Maybe as a parent, maybe as a grandparent, maybe as a friend, a uh, friend of the family, some relative, maybe as a, a pastor or some. In the first service, there were lots of radio pastors that were, were mentioned. So just, just call out to me. Who is the greatest, greatest one or two influences in your life when you're growing up? Don't be shy. Your mom. That would be very common. Moms would be very common. When soldiers are dying on the battlefield, you know what they say? Mom. They call out for their mother. Great influence. Huh? Well, of course. Come on, don't, don't be shy. Pastors. You have various pastors along the line. Hmm? Grandma. Jesus. 
brothers and sisters influence us a lot, sometimes in positive, sometimes not so positive Father. ways. Huh? Father. Father, yep. Okay, so we've all got people who influenced us in significant ways. Paul reminded Timothy in these verses, I love these verses. Paul says to young Timothy, he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. So it's a grandmother and a mother that, that influenced. And then he goes on to say, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you, whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. In that day, uh, young Jewish children were taught to memorize the first five books of the Bible. If they were really a scholar, they memorized the whole Old Testament, the law and the, the prophets. Pretty, pretty good education. So first of all, significant people. Secondly, in our development comes a grasp of contemporary culture. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we know that we don't want to let the world shape our thinking in negative ways in terms of the way that the worldview that the church has. But at the same time, if you're going to be effective in ministering to people in the real world, you have to understand and know the real world. Now, I know this is going to be a little controversial, but that's okay. Homeschooling, for example, I think it's really important to think through that issue because arguments can be made both ways. Homeschoolers would say, I want my children to be protected until they're old enough, give them a good, firm foundation until they're old enough to then transfer into a school, maybe in junior high or high school, and then learn about the real world. Others would say, no, I want my children to be brought up in secular schools because they need to understand how the world works. They need to understand how people think in order to be effective. That was my parents' point of view. And uh, <clears throat> pastors sometimes who go to Christian schools, Christian high school, Christian college, seminary, sometimes they don't know how to identify people who live in the real world. They've never, they've never held a real job. And I know for me it was a real advantage to me to be brought up in a secular education, college included, and then to, to have jobs in the real world. I, help, I think it helps you identify with people. Jesus, for example, uh, obviously had memorized the scriptures. He knew, this, knew the scriptures very well. He could argue with the best theologians, and yet he wasn't trained to be a theologian. The Pharisees, Pharisee means separatist, to be separate. And obviously that was a negative thing. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, primarily what Jesus does is get after the Pharisees. He's always after religious people, people who didn't understand how the real world worked and, and, and to love people. Then thirdly, in our development, is that we face and overcome failures. Now, I don't need to ask the question, I know the answer. Every one of us have had failures of one sort or another. I've had some pretty significant failures in my life, and I know that probably uh, you have too. I know some of the stories of people in our church, and they're, they're pretty tragic stories. Some people that grow led to Christ over the years, had horrible backgrounds. You know, many people who are in leadership positions in our church were saved in jail. Isn't that great? 
They, they faced adversity and overcame that, and the Lord used their adversity to their advantage. Moses was certainly an example of someone who faced great adversity, great failure. Let me read this story that's probably familiar to you. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their labor. Now, somebody asked me after the first service, how did he know that they were his own people? Well, I assume that uh, Pharaoh's daughter would have told him that he was a Hebrew and made him, made him aware of that. He, he may, have, may have looked different. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So I, I, I think I'd be safe to say not many of you would want to have a murderer as your pastor. But Moses was a murderer, one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. David was a murderer and an adulterer and was also one of the greatest leaders. So, so it's not just that you face failures, but that you overcome those failures and allow the Lord to use them to your advantage. I've had numbers of failures in my life. People that attended Faith Chapel over the years could say, yeah, he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. And Thankfully, I think the, the good decisions outweighed the bad decisions, but there were certainly some points of failure along the way. So Moses killed a man and tried to hide it, Peter, gosh, I, I think of, of Peter and I think, can you imagine what Peter must have felt like when he denied Jesus? I don't even know the guy. He must have been horribly, horribly humiliated and guilty. David, of course, failed. He committed adultery and, and also killed the husband of the person that he, killed, uh, that he uh, committed adultery with. But the great thing is they overcame their failures. In fact, there aren't many, many Bible characters. One of the reasons we love the Bible is because you see all these failures and what God did in the life of a failure. He helped them to, to overcome. So notice how failures can become a good thing. Romans, or excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops. It's part of our development. Develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So facing failures and overcoming them. Number four, most people in their development face a desert experience. Now, when I think about desert, I think about from here to Miles City. You know, it's flat, it's dry, there's sagebrush, it's, it's a pretty desolate, desolate place. But when we think of a desert experience, we're thinking in terms of dry times. Times when it seemed like, God, where are you? I'm not, I'm not hearing you. What's, what's happening? I went through a, a period of time like this in my life uh, in the early 2000s, about a five-year period of time when I thought, God, are you go ever going to do anything? And I remember getting up day after day in my journal saying, Lord, when is this going to pass? When is this going to pass? But it lasted a long enough period of time where I learned, I saw the things that God wanted me to see in the midst of that time. Thankfully, it wasn't 40 years like with Moses. Can you imagine being in a desert time, a dry time, 40 years? He thought his life was over. 
He thought God was done with him. So Joseph, you've, Jared has talked to us about Joseph for the last three weeks. He went through some dry times in prison. David uh, ran from Saul. He was anointed the king, and he, he, he wanted to submit to the king so he wouldn't kill him. And Saul chased him all over the country, throwing spears at him. And it was a pretty desolate time, but desolate time for David. I think of the Burns Desert, which is a lot like from here to Miles City. And, and yet in these dry times, if you think about the dry times in your own life, as difficult as they are, those are the times when you really open up and you start listening to God. You can hear God. All the clutters laid aside. Okay, Lord, I, I need for you to speak to me with clarity. So we all face desert experiences which are important in our development. Then number five, an encounter with God. Now, this one's a little bit challenging because some people don't believe they've ever had an encounter with God. It might not have been some dramatic thing that took place in your life. For me, there were a couple of pretty dramatic things that happened in my life when I had an encounter with the Lord. But sometimes people don't remember when they were saved. Uh, they, they just know that they believed at some point their, their, their faith was, was solid. For Moses, his, his uh, encounter with God, of course, is the, is the burning bush. Imagine being out in the desert. You see this bush. All of a sudden, there's smoke coming from this bush, and you walk over, and God talks to you out of the bush. That would shake your day up just a tad bit, I would think. So now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This was ultimately the place where the uh, Ten Commandments were given. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. I don't think, I don't think he would have had to say that. He was probably gone far enough. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the Lord, God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So he had this dramatic, dramatic encounter with God. Now, many of you have heard me, and so I won't tell it in, in detail, but the encounter I had with God was in Forest Grove, Oregon. I was living in sin. And I woke up one morning, and the room was filled with light. It was a sunny, beautiful day, and I knew God was in the room. And I just slipped out of bed on my knees, just fell on my knees on the floor, and began weeping and crying out to God. And that was such a dramatic encounter with the Lord that my life changed. The direction of my life changed from that day forward. I was going this way, and now I made a decision. I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. And so my, my life and circumstances changed a great deal. I changed from a person who feared God to a person who recognized the love of God. Another encounter I had was there was a point in my life where I had sinned against the Lord and I'd sinned against another person. And I, I knew I had forgiveness, but I hadn't experienced forgiveness. And every morning I used to walk around Faith Chapel and pray for an hour every morning, walking back and forth through the through the, through the rows. And one morning, the conviction and the guilt was so heavy upon me, 
I went up to the front of the church and I just fell on my face on the floor and began weeping and crying and, and begged Jesus to forgive me. I knew he had, but I hadn't experienced it. That, again, was a dramatic encounter with the Lord that changed. Things changed from, from that point on, and actually the restoration took place in the person that I'd hurt so bad. Billy Graham tells of an encounter that he had with God when he was walking in the woods, struggling with the authority of God's Word, the authority of Scripture. He'd gone to Bible school, and a Bible school professor had caused him to doubt the authority of God's Word, as crazy as that sounds in a Bible school, but that's what took place. So he's struggling the was, Lord, can I trust your word? Can I trust the authority of the scriptures? And he made a decision that day. And that's when his ministry really took off and really flourished because he did believe in the authority of, of the scriptures. Then the last one is a healthy respect for dependence upon God. Now, I've talked about my shyness before. I, I still, at times, though I, though I don't, usually struggle with shyness. If I'm in a new circumstance, I do. But sometimes uh, I, I got in this habit when I was a little boy of always looking down when people looked at me. So I'd be walking down the street, somebody looked at me, I'd look down. I've even caught myself in the last year or so when, when, as I'm walking through the neighborhood with my dog, somebody will drive by and I'll wave and then put my head down like that. I'm going to quit doing that. Just lift up your head and, and, and look at people. And I, I was thinking about this this morning. I hadn't intended to talk about it, but I attended a Southern Baptist youth camp when I was, I was probably seventh grade maybe. And it wasn't our church camp. It was a, another church camp from kids who were in Portland. So I didn't know anybody. I showed up at this church camp and I hid all day. Nobody knew I was there. I didn't go to the classes. I think I, I, think I must have eaten. I would have been motivated to do that, but I, I didn't go to the classes, didn't participate in anything all day long. Why? Because I was so shy. I didn't, I, I didn't want to, didn't want to be around people that I didn't know. Uh, I also remember at a at a ball game, a picnic that my my aunt and uncle took me to when I was in high school, sophomore in high school, and everybody at the picnic was out playing baseball, and I, I was sitting on the sidelines. I just sat over there and observed because I was so shy. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get involved. Well, as horrifying as shyness can be, some of you understand what that's about. It can actually be a good thing in the sense nobody needs to tell me how much I need God. Nobody's ever had to convince me of that. I've always recognized my need for the Lord. This scripture that I'm going to read is one that was another in encounter that I had with the Lord that changed my life. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. That's what gave me the confidence to go into the ministry was that particular verse from the Lord spoke those those words to me. I've said to my said to my kids, a couple of my kids didn't have a very good self image growing up. And I, I remember saying to one of them several times, I wish you could see me. I wish you could see yourself the way I see you. It would it would revolutionize your life. And I, I hope that they've come to see that too, to a certain degree at least. So 
What have you overcome? What has developed you as a person? Uh, I've been watching a series called The Crown. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's on Netflix, I believe. Queen Elizabeth was extremely shy. And uh, they showed this scene where Elizabeth was probably 10 years old and Margaret, her sister, is probably, I, I suppose, six or seven years old, something like that. Margaret was ebullient. She was outgoing. She was the life of the party every, every place that she went. And she wanted to be the queen, and Elizabeth didn't want to be the queen because Elizabeth was, was so shy, she didn't want to be around people. She said, I'd rather go hide someplace and just live my life in isolation. So she sent Margaret in to their dad and asked if Margaret could be the queen instead of Queen Elizabeth being the queen. And he said, no, that's not the way it works. So she, isn't that amazing that someone that's that exposed to the world has, has had to overcome shyness? So I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. I'm going to go through these and listen carefully as I, as I go through each one of them. I want you to think about two people who are the most significant people in your life in terms of being a godly influence. And I want you just to take a minute and just whisper out to the Lord, Lord, thank you for their life. Thank you for the influence that they had in my life. That's an eternal treasure that I have, that they would have, would have been placed in my life to influence me toward you in significant ways. Secondly, thank the Lord for and pray that you would understand contemporary culture, that you would understand what makes people tick. What kinds of temptations do they face? What kind of struggles do they face? That rather than criticizing them, you might be able to person that can, who can really help them. Thirdly, what you might have looked at as your greatest failure and something that really hindered your life, and it probably did, would you thank the Lord right now for, for what has come out of your failures? That those things that could have destroyed you have not destroyed you, they've made you stronger. They've made you more a person of God because of what you faced. And then maybe some of you are in a dry time right now. Where are you, God? doesn't seem like you're answering my prayers. What's going on? Listen. Because it's in those desert times that the Lord can speak to you most clearly. And then number five, go back to an encounter that you've had with the Lord. If you've never had an encounter with the Lord, you can Go back to that encounter that you've had with the Lord and just thank Him. Lord, thank you for that day that I woke up in that room and you were there and I knew it. Thank you for the forgiveness that came as I encountered you that day. And then lastly, would you affirm your dependence on God this morning? Maybe you've been shy, maybe you've been insecure, maybe you've been fearful, maybe you tend to hold back. Thank the Lord for that, that nobody needs to convince you of your need for the Lord. On the other hand, if you're proud, ask the Lord to help you see how much greater He is than you are, that you might be dependent upon Him. And I'm going to ask lastly, is there anybody here this morning who hasn't yet turned your life over to Jesus? I want to be a follower of Jesus. You've never, you've never done that. You've never said yes to the Lord, but you want to today. Would you just slip up your hand? I won't embarrass you, but just slip up your hand. Look at me so that I can see you. I can acknowledge with you. Today's your day to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. 
Lord, thank you for the dear folks that are here today. Thank you for their love for you, for their dependence upon you. And Lord, we pray that over these next several weeks we could learn from this wonderful man, Moses, the good things he did and some of the bad things that he did, that we could learn and grow and develop and be more like you through that experience. We love and give you thanks for this day. Would you keep us healthy? Would you keep us safe? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, God bless.